that's often like part of the grief, right? Is like realizing again, each time someone, you know, dear to us passes away or we see, you know, some kind of GoFundMe that is just like touches your heart and some, some someone's story that you don't even know. But each time that happens, it like reconnects us to those those remembrances, right? Of like, right, I don't have forever. And like, am I living, you know, my life to my fullest? How much am I loving the people dear to me? Like each time it just connects us to it. Like some people dying connects us to our life mm-hmm. in new ways, which we miss out on when we don't talk about it. Um, Hello, hello, and welcome to all of you beautiful souls tuning in today to the Heart of a Soul podcast, Earthy Nofa on YouTube. My name is Amana, and I'm so happy that you're here. This is a space where we remember what it means to be wild women walking this earth. Together we practice using our voices, connecting through the ancient ritual of storytelling, sharing our stories of birth, life, and death, celebrating how both we and our stories shift and change across time. I hope that soaking in these stories will leave you feeling inspired, connected, and more alive in your own beautiful body and unique life. Today is January 8th, 2023. I am in our little tiny mobile home in southern Mississippi. It's currently raining outside with possible thunderstorms this afternoon. The full moon was just a few days ago and I'm in my ovulatory phase and feeling social and light today. I'm super excited about my guest and the dialogue we'll have as we explore the overarching themes of death in our culture and the ways death has been brought out of the home and is rarely physiological or witnessed by loved ones. Hannah Grace here with me today. Our paths have crossed in a few different online communities. Kimberly Ann Johnson's Year of the Jaguar, and also through Emily Saldea's Freebirth Society. In both of these spaces, I really enjoyed your energy. I remember doing the mover mirror witness practice with you in Jaguar last year, and love looking through your beautiful website, the language that you use there, your offerings of somatic dance and all the beautiful pre-recorded classes, one-on-one support and so much more. Um, I would love for you to share where you are in the world and introduce yourself in whatever way feels good to you right now. Thank you so much. I'm Hannah Grace. I am in Western North Carolina in Appalachia. It is a rainy day today as well. We had some big storms a couple nights ago. Uh, Yeah, it's beautiful out. It's not too cold. Um, Yeah. And introduce myself as well. Is that what you said? Yeah, in whatever way you like to or feel called to right now. Yeah. Okay. I'm so excited to be here and I loved your introduction. Thank you. I, gosh, um, I'm a mother of one uh, son, a free birth that was incredible. I'd actually found um, death and death work before I was ever interested in birth and birth work. 
and yeah, I do various things. You kind of spoke to them, so I won't go too much into that, but I really just am one of those women who are just fascinated with this life being in a human body and all that that entails um, from, you know, grief to rage to bliss and movement and just being in skin and what that's like. And then, of course, um, bringing life into the world and also fascinated by by death in, yeah, in, in different ways. So I'm excited to be here and have this conversation with you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you were speaking, you made me think about just as like females, as women that we, you know, hold that full like birth, life, death cycle within us. And I remember in my maidenhood, having that like recognition and awareness that each month I like birthed from my ovaries, this little tiny ovum, and that if it wasn't fertilized, that then it it died, that like potential, that like potential would die and then be shed through my blood a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so interesting that you found like had this curiosity about death and death work before birth. I wonder if you could speak to sort of your, what drew you there, or did you have like an initiatory experience of death? And Yeah, um, I think for me, I mean, I have a Scorpio North node. So I think part of my life, just since I was a kid, I was really drawn to kind of the darker, drearier things. Like I loved, I remember in middle school, like I would read the most like, like, gnarly you know books about like like biographies about drug addicts and just like you know the deep painful parts of life was just so fascinating to me I I also grew up in somewhat of a traumatic environment so I was just comfortable there I think and was naturally drawn towards some of those more taboo subjects um in a way it really just like piqued my my curiosity and I I like to like watch those kinds of things and immerse myself in those kinds of things so that was definitely part of it and I don't want to get like too much into this particular story but when I was 20 I um embarked on a journey with 5-MAO DMT which is like a really, really potent psychedelic. And the person who provided it to me um, gave me way too much. And for my like, for my also tendency to be kind of like have a leaving pattern of my body where I go more to like leaving where it's like safer there. So the combination of the two created a really like felt like near death experience where I felt it took very many months for me to feel in my body again and to feel a part of this world again. And it led me to just have a, a greater awareness of that space between life and death and choosing to be here and what purpose is and just the 
fragility of our human path. So those on top of each other and then um and then a did I attend did her death happen before the training? Yes, it did. And then my stepmom um became very ill. And so it just like happened and I was just in this place this very like raw and open and tender place and supported her for the you know the final weeks of her life and was a part of her passing and it just felt like where I was supposed to be it just felt like this is what this is where I meant to be and she passed in the hospital and we'll talk more about her passing, I'm sure, but she passed in the hospital and right after she, you know, died, a couple hours went by and I just, I wanted to go sit with everyone else on that floor that was in their final hours. Like, I didn't want to leave. I just wanted to like continue to visit each person there and walk with them as they moved between worlds. So that was kind of my introduction and I ended up doing, you know, some, some courses and some studying, but yeah, that's how I got there. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's so interesting. The paths that we take and journey through. Um, it's funny that you mentioned having a Scorpio North node. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. So I'm a Scorpio sun sign and, uh, but I was super drawn into like birth and babies in my younger years. And then for me, it was, um, an initiatory experience when I was 25 and my first love died and I was present with him. Um, he had cancer, so we knew it was coming, but yeah, in my twenties, when most of my peers, you know, I still felt very invincible or hadn't really faced that other side of life and birth. And, you know, now I so recognize how inextricably linked that they are and, that we can't have one without the other, but being present with him and witnessing his last breaths and his body, you know, animate and embodied. And then with the absence of his soul and then having experiences and interactions with his soul from this other realm. And that was a whole other, you know, big awareness and opening for me. Mm -hmm beautiful yeah 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 the dreams afterwards are so interesting like all of my loved ones who have passed which yeah I didn't have too much of in my youth like in my childhood and like I don't think any family members passed away um, when I was a child but as an adult you know in the last seven years there's been significant deaths in my life and yeah getting to like meet them in dreams and hear from them in dreams which sounds like you did as well with your love and just like yeah this this threshold of this like life death portal um is so fascinating and the same thing I felt when my stepmom, her name was Kathy, when Kathy passed away was, I felt the same presence when I gave birth to my son. 
um, yeah, the same like guardianship. There's like this like guardian gatekeeper energy that was like there, you know, like they are passing these souls through. I don't, yeah, there's not really more to say than just like what I felt, you know, I don't really have like a strong belief around what happens in that place and what it's like to go between the two and mm -hmm. all of that, but just like the energy, um, that's the best I can really describe it. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. I've said the same thing about like the birth and death energy that it's, it's very, it feels so palpable when you're in it and it's, it's almost hard. I don't know that we necessarily have the language yet, or if maybe I just don't have the language to really describe what that's like. And also I think, you know, sometimes people want, especially women who've never like been present for birth or birth themselves, like they want to know, well, what's it like and get, and I can like describe just, you know, until I have no words, but it's not the same as experiencing it. And yeah. I feel the same is true for death. And, you know, although I've been present, I don't know what it's like or what it will be like to go through that process myself and mm -hmm. pass through that portal. And I too don't exactly know what's on the other side or what that experience is like, but But I can say that, uh, you know, the energy of that space, I'm at peace with that. And knowing that that, you know, is where I'm headed, we we come to go and nobody, you know, gets out of this life alive. We all die. And um, I've actually, I don't know, found comfort in that or beauty in that as well. And imagining yeah. my body returning to the earth, like thinking of myself as this, you know, as part of the earth I made from her minerals and water. And, and here I am standing above the earth now and moving and have this soul inside of me. And at some point the soul will exit my body and my flesh and blood will return back into the dirt and the earth. It's so wild. <laughs> Being human, you know, it's like so wild. To, I'm always just like, I, I'm always just feel so amazed, you know, like by pregnancy, like carrying a life inside of your womb and it growing, like it's, and then giving birth to it and it like being a part of you is just, it's just mind blowing to me. Like it will never not be mind blowing. It will never not be like, whoa, this is wild. Um, and the same thing about just like being alive. It's like, whoa, okay. We're like in these bodies that can like move and see and talk. And we understand words that we've like made up that are just sounds that we can like communicate and it makes sense. <laughs> and then, you know, life and everything that happens in that and then we die like okay wow wow trippy hey yes yes always like mean, yeah like you said birth is always incredible to me and death is the same and never yeah I don't know. and yeah. I think part of like for me in my in my 20s kind of during that that time with that um really traumatic experience um I think I 
I think part of why it was so why I was in such a hard place is because our common world, like our common society doesn't talk about how wild and strange and incredible it is to be alive and like how mysterious it is um and death like that that those aren't common narratives so i felt so alone that i was in such like uh, almost overwhelm at the purpose <laughs> of being a human and like why we're here and what we're doing and what it's all about because it's just you know our mainstream culture is just so like we're just here and this is just what we do and that's that and figure it out and you know button up your whatever and get to work that I felt so alone in the wonder um and in the not knowing and I didn't understand how people like live their lives not knowing or like yeah like why isn't everybody asking these questions um and I just think it's so yeah it's so important um I think a lot of time moms I hear moms or I'll see it in Facebook groups or whatever like not knowing how to talk to their children about death mm -hmm. when like a loved one is dying or an animal is dying or or they even um don't talk about it you know they don't tell them that they're eating meat like <laughs> things are um hidden uh which I think is just such a disservice um to humans to small humans that what I have seen the children who are immersed in not immersed in but are aware of death are so reverent of it just naturally they're so intrigued and reverent and curious. At least my son is and a couple of the other kids I know who, who, you know, process animals and things like that. And it's just mm -hmm. like part of their life. Um, yeah, it's beautiful to, to witness in my son, for sure. Yeah, my children are the same. Like you speak, I don't, you know, hide death from them. Um, my first full-term baby died shortly after she was born. And so, you know, like I talked about her for his whole life and he knows that she existed. And um, and yeah, we talk about death and that I, I'm going to die someday. And that's, you know, just part of life. And yeah, the meat that we eat, we speak about the animals and I use the word death and dying too. I find, you know, a lot of people, adults, even speaking to other adults have a really hard time saying that a person died, like using the word I... past or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's other language that people use, but actually the word death and dying are like almost, yeah, hard for people to even say the word, let alone like have like reverence for it or ponder it or like really spend time with the knowing or wonder mm -hmm. about the experience of it mm -hmm. and like you spoke to before about like your experience with um dmt and how that like shaped you and um changed your experience with life like that too with 
Bjorn's dying and being present with him and then like having I definitely had a new reverence and awareness about death and also about the preciousness of life and wanting yeah. to like live in a more I don't know embodied joyful just like experiential way that I was not taking for granted that I was currently living knowing that I would not always be it that my time I don't know when my time will be right that's often like part of the grief right is like realizing again each time someone you know dear to us passes away or we see you know some kind of GoFundMe that is just like touches your heart and some, some someone's story that you don't even know but each time that happens it like reconnects us to those those remembrances right of like right I don't have forever and like am I living you know my life to my fullest how much am I loving the people dear to me like each time it just connects us to it like some people dying connects us to our life Mm-hmm. in new ways which we miss out on when we don't talk about it um yeah, yeah. Cult- culture isn't our culture is just not comfortable talking about it we the grief like you said a lot of people have a hard time supporting other people in grief because they're just like afraid or don't know what to say or do or don't want to think about it or face it themselves and mm-hmm. um and yet grief is like such an important part of our experiences as human I feel like we all you know have suffering in different ways and forms and um learning to move with and with grief through its ebbs and flows and for me finding ways to like honor and create ceremony and ritual around death or these grief experiences has been really important for me and my you know healing that is open-ended and endless and continues on always um and sometimes the women that I work with I feel um like I didn't grow up with a lot of ceremony or ritual or I thought it was like something that only like formal religions did or it's like it was in this like other category And it's just been in, you know, maybe the last couple of decades that I've opened up to the awareness and remembering of my own self that I can create it myself and it doesn't have to look a certain way or be a certain way that it's, I'm creating it for me and for that other person and that, um, yeah, that it doesn't have, it can be so simple as like a candle or having a piece of pizza and knowing that he loved pizza and thinking about him as I'm like consciously eating this piece of pizza. Mm -hmm. Um, I -hmm. wonder maybe, and I also, I'll speak to all, I'm curious about you and your somatic movement practice because I also love using movement in like grief and ways of sometimes expressing um, grief without words through movement uh, because I found that to be really beautiful and healing and just impactful yeah. for myself and some other women and so I yeah what has your journey and experience have been with grief in your life mm. grief I was like many women um 
uncomfortable with rage. So I had a lot of grief. Like, you know, people say like, when you're angry, it's that you're really sad, right? For me, it was like, when I'm sad, there's actually like a lot of anger, right? under Underneath it. And I always felt like I had this like well of grief that if any, just like, <laughs> if I just started to talk about something that was like sad, it was just like that well was just like so, 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 so deep, right? And to me, it's like, there's always grief. Like grief is always, always, always present in the world. And if we want to grieve, we can. There's always, always, always something to grieve in this like tragic world <laughs> that we live in. Um, I don't feel that well of grief anymore, like through somatic practices. It doesn't feel like something that like overpowers my being, <laughs> like the trauma vortex kind of thing. And now just feels like a very integrated part of my life. Like I'm very comfortable, um, not even comfortable in grief. It's not comfortable, <laughs> but it's like, I'm okay with it. Like I'm okay with being there and in it. And with somatic experiencing and then the somatic movement practices that I do, getting really comfortable in this like expansion and contraction and this like pendulation, right? Like going into grief or let me back up a second. The pendulation like swinging, right? Between two places, a more like unpleasant place and a more pleasant place has been a really powerful practice that I've got to see in action with grief within the last, you know, few months. Well, I guess summertime, so the last six months or so. But also Zenith Virago, who I learned um, some death work from and some like like uh, celebrancy stuff from, like holding funerals. She talked about grief as a swing rather than a wave. Like a lot of people talk about it. Mm -hmm. She talked about it as a swing, which has always stuck with me. Um, you know, like like despair on one end and like bliss on the other really, because it's like every death is different. If we're talking about grief in direct relation to death, every death is going to be different for every like person. So who the person is to us and how they died and like, you know, what that means to us is what creates how we grieve about them. So even if we have the same, you know, my sister and I have the same mom, when she dies, like our grief will be different. Mm -hmm. um, there's sometimes there is bliss in, in people passing away, right? And sometimes there's rage and disgust and, you know, all kinds of emotions to be felt. So anyways, the swing I find, I have found in the last year to be so powerful. Um, my great aunt passed away over the summer and she was very, 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 very dear to me. And I lived with her when I was a teen and she was just like, just wonderful. And I see like so much of myself in her. And um, my son and I went out to see her before she died. She like got sick very quickly. Um, and it was a very fast death, very fast decline. So my son and I 
were flying out to go and see her. And when we arrived at the airport, my sister let me know that she had actually died while we were on our way there. My son is four. He was three at the time. Um, but he'd already been like around. He'd been to several funerals of family members and quite familiar with death. And I had full trust in him. And I said, let's go see her and let's go see her body. Um, so I called and I said, please don't let them take her until we can get there. She lives in LA. So it took a while <laughs> to get to her because of LA. So yeah, they held her body. Um, she died at home. So long enough for us to get there and see her. And my son got to see her and still talks about it all the time. And then I was with my sister. My sister lives there. So it was like so much grief. The most, the most, it was the first death I'd experienced where I felt like regret and I felt, um, yeah, guilt and regret that I hadn't experienced another death. Like I didn't get to say to her or be with her in the way that I really imagined it happening. Like I planned on staying the night with her all night while my son was sleeping and just being with her. And I didn't talk to her on the phone because I thought I was, you know, going to see her. So there was a lot happening. Mm -hmm. But then I was with my, you know, wonderful sister and my beautiful little two-year-old niece. And I stayed still for like four, I think we stayed for four days. So we were just in this beautiful swing between grieving and her and I would just like cry and talk about, you know, everything that we miss about her and what we wish we could have done and all of that. And then we would like rally our kids up and go to the beach and like laugh and play at the beach and really letting ourselves be in our humanness and like all of it and getting to be in the whole spectrum. Whereas earlier in my life, I thought that if I was sad, I had to like stay sad. Mm. If something bad had happened, it's like, that's all I can do. Or that's maybe all I had the capacity for, right? To like be in one. So it was just so beautiful to to just carry through life and know that we are in reverence. We called her Jima, like in reverence to Jima or Aunt Sue um, in everything that we're doing, in every emotion. We don't have to be sad and crying to be like celebrating her life and to be grieving her. Um yeah, which was just so, so beautiful. And my son's so sweet. Now, anytime I'm crying, he's like, are you sad about Gma? <laughs> like, no, not well, I am, but like not, that's not why I'm crying. Um, yeah. And mm. you were talking about, you know, saying death and dying with your kids. And he was so fascinated with where she went. He was like, where did she go? Because this is the first like dead body that he had seen where did she go? We were talking a lot about that. And he's really, he's always been very like fascinated with like, why are we here? And how did we get here? So God has like become part of our family conversation because it's something that he's very intrigued by. So I think I said like, you know, her spirit left. He's like, well, where did it go? And I said, well, it went to like, go be a part of everything, like be part of God. So now he refers to death as going to be with God. <laughs> And he'll be like, Mom, I don't want you to go to God. <laughs> or whatever. It's so yeah. sweet. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah so grief that is yeah that's part of it I think it can be so all-consuming and it can also be like something that just deepens us into our into our bones and into the world and into our families and everything yeah yeah and like you said I love the the swing you in the swing and um I feel like yeah it's so important to be able to be in like the depths and have expressed those emotions when they're present and then also for myself and I know many people speak to this too about how having that really like dark experience also in some ways makes like the joy like even brighter and the love like more magical and vibrant and that was true for my own experience that yes I was like in these the biggest depths and the you know when my when I, my child died, I had these those, you know, primal screams and cries that I never knew were within mm -hmm. me. And, and yet also that experience with her has, you know, changed me as a mother with my living children. And I still mother her, you know, in the soul realm. I mother her from afar in this other cosmic way. And I always will. What's her name? Hartley. Hartley. Yeah. And then, you know, and yet my relationship with my kids and the way that I commune with them feels changed by by her life as well her life and death mm -hmm. yeah how mm -hmm. could it not yeah right no it couldn't yeah yeah hardly how old would she be now seven oh mm -hmm. and i have yeah two living children now that are one that just turned six and then a little girl that's almost so my boy it just turned six and then a little girl that will be three at the end of March oh sweet yeah sweet yeah hmm. and I wonder if maybe we can I was looking into a little bit about like so I worked in palliative care in a hospital setting for a number of years and like did a lot of end-of-life care and advanced directives where people are talking about like what they where they want to die and you know there are studies that say that like 80 70 to 80 percent of people say that they want to die in their home and mm -hmm. yet seven out of like 70% of them actually die in hospitals and nursing homes and long-term care facilities. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's just so, so interesting to me that this can be like the desire of most people to be at home. And yet that's not where we end up. And yeah, the way, you know, I know you and I are in the birth world and we talk a lot about birth and the medicalization of birth and how it's, 
um, you know, physiological birth is really rare in this moment in time. And the same is true about death and that death is like highly medicalized sometimes highly. even, you know, like with induced. like dying with dignity. Yeah. It's induced by, med induced by medicine in like subtle ways and also in very, yeah. like overt ways that literally medical providers kill human beings with pharmaceuticals yeah. and it's legal. Yeah. It's so wild. Hey, and that's like how most people die if they're like sick and dying mm -hmm. it's like from what i've witnessed mm -hmm. um very much like an induced death like an assisted hurried death and like kind of like sugar-coated in a way of it's like we're keeping them comfortable um yeah. Yeah. There's so much there. And I think what you spoke to of like, just how many people want to die at home, but don't speaks a lot to our culture, a lot to our um, family systems, family units. And it's like easier to pass the responsibility of our parents or whoever off to the hospital or a nursing home than to keep them in home um and that's you know such like a complicated subject itself because you know there's all this like trauma within families and you might not want to take care of your parents and you know it's like yeah it's just so much it's all it's all connected and 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 some people don't want to be a burden to their children some you know some parents don't want to be a burden to their children so they're just like oh just put me in a you know put me in a nursing home whatever it may be yeah. um yeah but that's just like such a huge <laughs> huge conversation and can be very 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 like triggering for lack of a better term very um yeah even for me you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Sometimes I, I just, I wonder sometimes about what, what the world, what our culture would be like if birth, both births and deaths happened on more like innate natural mm -hmm. timing, because right now they're both hurried. We would live in a different world. Yeah. It would be amazing. It was like, yeah. I mean, after I gave birth to my son, the next day I was just like, and I know so many women have felt this who've had like physiological, like true physiological undisturbed births have all had this feeling of like, wow, if every woman gave birth to her child this way, mm. we would change the world. Like this place would be so different if women just knew like, the power of their bodies and trust their bodies and really got to meet birth like I think of birth as almost like a like a goddess you know like got to really like meet birth face on wow and their partners and whoever else got to like witness that this place would be so different mm -hmm. and yeah death the same just 
Yeah. Yeah, it's like, where where are we? Where are we going as a culture when we've nearly lost wild, like mammalian physiological birth and death? Yeah. Which are just, you know, and, I, and like you speak to birth and I feel like if women had those birth experiences too, they might also, you know, walk towards death in a different way as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, because for so many of us, I mean, from the moment we are born, I was born like planned cesarean, you know, my mom was pretty like hippie, new agey LA though. So I got like, you know, immediate skin to skin and breastfeeding and no anything and all of that. But still, it's like, I was still like very much born indoctrined into the system. Like so many of us are and go to our regular like pediatric visits. And it's just like a part of our, for most people's, it's a part of their just what they think this life is, what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Like, what they just think it is and when you have something up with you you just like go to get you know you go to urgent care or you go whatever to the doctor and you get the thing and when you're dying of course you do the same thing yeah yeah the beginnings and the ends we most of them are taken within the hospital setting those first breaths and last breaths and we have a number bracelet on our wrists like moments after we're born or on your ankle normally on babies yeah and hooked up to monitors and Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's wild especially like the monitor like monitoring a heart when someone's dying who said they don't want to be brought back like you know with with um you know the shock to the heart or whatever Mm -hmm. like why are they hooked up to a monitor still why is that on there? Won't we just know when they die? Like we don't need to look at that to for us to know that they're flatlined. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's so it's so wild. And and then it's like once our beloved family members do get sick, it's often on the family to make a lot of these choices, right? Once once the person can't speak or or just too um, either drugged up or just too like tired or maybe they had a stroke or something it's like on the family to make these choices and just like birth you're only given the options that they have Mm -hmm. so there's very little resource of like this is how you can stay home and like this is what that would look like and here's how you can have an in-home funeral and like those things aren't really given it's pretty much just like here, you know, here's what we have to offer and this is what death is and here's how it goes and like follow in line. And so by that time, because everyone denies death for so long, by the time they get there, which sounds like you worked in that field and would have these conversations with people, mm-hmm. like preparing what you're going to do and how you're going to support their beloved dying person. It's like... Now grief has come over, shock, you know, and all of these things. So choices, like most people don't want to even think in those options and in those times. Mm -hmm. So they just let the system, medical system, like just do what they do. Um, Yeah, which is why having conversations about death and options, which I actually don't know too much about. You know, every state is different as far as like in-home death care and in-home funerals and 
burial processes, mm-hmm. all those things. But mm-hmm. um, I think to the listeners, like if this is something that's interesting to you or you want to like plan for your, you know, future deaths or your beloved's death, it's like figuring those things out now mm-hmm. um, because it is possible. Like it's very, very possible to die a physiological death in home and stay in home for everyone to come and see you in your home. You don't need to be swept off right away. Um, But they will make it seem that way. Mm -hmm. Just like with birth, they're going to make it seem like you, you know, if your baby is breached, you have to have a Mm C-section. That's just, you're going to think that that is truth unless you are like, hold on, wait, this could be different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like there's so much there I want to try and speak to but yeah when um and like when babies die in the hospital often people don't know that they can keep them for you know a few days if they want I birthed my daughter at home and she was breached and I birthed her at home and I got to I knew she was gonna die um you had already known I knew she was gonna die after she was born yeah um but I got to keep her at home with me for a few days and people were like you're allowed to do that yes you can and um and you're so right about the importance of having some of these conversations while while we're well just like in birth like birth is not the time to be like talking to a woman about her choices in labor like same as near the end of your life it's not the time to like have all these big conversations and I actually just recorded like a solo episode a few days ago that's going to publish later this month, but um, where I talk about the importance of having like an advanced directive where you have conversations with the people who are possibly going to be making the medical decisions for you if you're in a space that you can't and just knowing the legality. It's different from state to state, but it's pretty consistent that, um, you know, if you're like say in a car accident and you're intubated on medication that if you haven't filled out one of these forms that it would, you know, first go to a spouse if you have one. If you don't have a spouse, then if you have adult children, then they would all jointly be making decisions for you. Which is wild. And then if you have parents, then they would be, and then it would go to like cousins and, you know, like it's, so if those aren't people that know what your wishes are, like if you haven't had those conversations and they will just be making decisions based on mostly like what they want for themselves and not knowing what you would want for yourself in those different scenarios, whether you're comfortable with having a feeding tube, whether you're comfortable living, you know, with needing to be hooked up to an intubator, it was mm-hmm. with a breathing tube, a machine breathing for you, or if you couldn't move your arms or your legs or, you know, all these different things that um are really hard and important things to talk about with their loved ones right and I remember in my the like workshop I did with Zenith Virago she has a documentary called or that they made about her called Zen and the Art of Dying she's an Australian woman um and she gave us a form that's like your death plan kind of like your birth plan Mm -hmm. and it also included like you know, would you want like music playing? Do you want to die alone? Do you want to die? Do you want people around you? Like, what do you want? You know, because people will just like assume. And also like, what do you want your funeral to be like? 
what songs you want played at your funeral, things like this, because it also, filling out something like that also has us look death in the eye and look our death in the eye and at least somewhat in the eye. If you're not totally comfortable looking it all the way in the eye, it's like it starts to open up that that acceptance of it um and yeah just the same as a birth plan like when you you know i want candles and i want whatever like those yeah, kinds of this things. music or this food or uh-huh, yeah. this is what i want there and, and this type of touch is comforting to me right mm-hmm. like it's so important because some people might truly want to die alone and we might make up stories that they don't and that you know, it's wrong that they died alone or that we might feel guilty that we weren't there or whatever it is. Um, my grandma passed away last summer and uh, I saw her, Koa and I again saw her, I think the day before she died. And and I just had a feeling that she actually wanted to die alone after we all like came to see her. She was already just kind of that kind of woman she liked to be alone you know she was very like independent and peaceful um just as her personality but i i noticed myself making up stories like oh i wish i could have been there and i was like wait no like this is this is great you know this is right mm-hmm. for her um but yeah having those plans it can also be really comforting for someone who's dying that you love to ask them those questions and, you know, fill out the paper for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually really common that when I, you know, worked with in-death and was with a lot of different people and families at end of life that it was often, yeah, one or the other where, you know, people were like wanting, like not leaving their loved one's side because they really wanted to be present for that last breath and then they like finally had to go somewhere and that's when the person like I feel like chose to have their last breaths and die because they didn't want to be witnessed didn't want those those people there and I've also witnessed like the other side where someone you know we think the medical team says they're not going to last another day and some family members like really wants to come and be and it's obvious that this person is holding and waiting for that oh. person and that person comes and then later that day or hours later they take their last breath and die mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 it's so beautiful yeah yeah and that, that could be an interesting thing to talk about too because I think often at least what I've noticed um what I've witnessed my stepmom was dying in the hospital she also had cancer and she was in you know an induced pretty much state of sleep but it's like people like to have that conversation or they ask the question do you think she can hear us right do you think that she's like here and can hear us and they'll kind of like not act as though the person can mm-hmm. which I think is common mm-hmm. what do you think 
I I feel like they often can hear us and that they can maybe even if they can't hear us that they can sense us and um you know in the little like pamphlet that we gave out to people about end of life like in there they talk about through you know studies they believe that hearing is one of those last things to go and that mm-hmm. oftentimes they can hear us even if they're not making any sort of like visual right. or auditory response to us that they actually can hear us and what we're saying around them mm-hmm. yeah so yeah when I worked with people you know even strangers that I didn't know and was caring for them I would you know introduce myself and tell them that I was gonna you know get a warm washcloth and you know wipe their face or put some you know like salve on their lips or describe what I was going to do as I was preparing to do it so that they wouldn't be surprised or you know speak to them as though they understood me not knowing whether or not they did but I felt better assuming that they that they did right just like a baby right yeah it's like some people don't think babies understand. <laughs> I think they do, even if they don't like know the words. They yeah. know, they know yeah. what you're saying. You're like, oh, sweetie, like, oh, you're, that scared you. Like, oh, okay, I got you. You know, you're safe. Like, they know mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, the rhythm and the sound of our voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I always, I always felt that way too. It's just like this environment. Someone dying is, is so sacred and they may want to just hear chatter they may want to just hear people in their room talking and you know their children bickering and whatever um so there's no like perfect way to to be in a in that space I don't think Mm. either but I think definitely reverent of the person and not speaking about them in a way that they're not listening (laughs) Yeah. Um, would you like to share more in depth about Kathy's death and your experience sure. with her? Yeah. Yeah. That's the only death I've actually been present for when the person leaves their body. And mm-hmm. uh. I took care of her for a couple of weeks while she was still um, alert and present and mobile, not mobile. She was like in a wheelchair, but um, eating, you know, and alive, very like alive. And the unique thing about Kathy is that she had a brain aneurysm um, about 10 years prior. So she had short-term memory loss. So... She knew me, you know, she knew everyone that she loved. She she could remember even new people that she met. She met them enough times. She could remember them. But the day-to-day life stuff, like what are we doing? Where do, where are we? What's next? Um, we're always, you know, kind of, she'd always have questions about that. So as she was dying, she would ask, am I dying? Because uh, she couldn't remember, which was just such a unique place to be in and I didn't you know I just trusted my gut in being honest with her every time that she asked I think a lot of other people didn't weren't honest with her because it was just easier 
to just say, oh, no, <laughs> no, you're not. And, you know, she'd ask again 10 minutes later. And I, yeah, chose to be honest. And she would respond differently almost every time. Some, she was a um, Christian woman, so we would talk about God sometimes. Another time she would cry and it would be like very hard, you know. That was a very interesting part of her, of the end of life, at least for me. It was like very, yeah, it, it can, I continually, continuously had to be like confronted with this question and mm -hmm. telling someone that they're going to die. Mm -hmm. which was intense yeah I feel like I did a really good job I was 20 <laughs> I feel like I did a really good job I was just like I said I was already in that like in between world space just because of what happened to my consciousness but um it was really beautiful it was really really beautiful so yeah so um then I went I went back home I was staying in San Diego to take care of her um yeah, for a while. I went back home and then I got the call from my dad that it was her time. It was coming. So I flew back down to San Diego and pretty much lived in the hospital with her for a few days. And my dad, it was pretty much the support to my dad and kind of this death walker this like grounding rod in the room for her and him oh, so big which yeah it was so big and like so important um yeah just like it, it changed me and my dad's relationship forever um yeah like I mentioned I'd had kind of a hard childhood he wasn't a very good dad um, in many ways and also like loved me always so much and love was love was never lacking uh, in my childhood it was more just everything else that was crazy um so this was like a really really important time for me in my family system as well because pretty much around like I started living with Gma when I was 14 and working and whatever. I'd kind of separated myself from my family as a teen and just like got really independent. I'll do it on my own. And this was like a time that brought me back to my family. And I felt um, connected to not only my dad, but other, other family members as well, partially because of them, like seeing me in my maturity, I guess, and seeing me in that, in that role. So special, special time. And her kids came, my four step-siblings. She had two sets of twins. Um, so they came and her ex-husband came and everyone, I was the most, you know, I was her stepdaughter. I was the most removed from her, like where everyone else had very, very, very deep ties with her. We had actually quite a, a hot and cold relationship ourselves. <laughs> Um, her and I. <laughs> so I got to be like this grounding rod in the room for everyone, you know, and when they would be there, like the one to kind of call everyone into, into prayer and into holding hands and making 
kind of guiding these these moments these like pause moments where I think it can be so easy for people when their dearest ones are dying to just be like in a frenzy and kind of like overwhelmed so I just yeah I just felt my role very clearly um and everyone seemed to be grateful grateful for that so after her kids left they came the final day just like you talked about like she wanted to see her kids um and they left and I knew it was coming and my dad knew it was coming but he is a very uh the word um fidgety fidgety anxious like he's on the phone pacing back and forth and you know going out to his car and coming back inside and getting a coffee and all the things you know that's just kind of how he is in general and then so his wife dying on top of it um yeah it was just like whoa this is a lot so he wanted to like keep turning on the the tv (laughs) and watching tv in the hospital room you know um and I just remember lovingly saying like dad will you turn that off like I actually I want to sing you know and just doing things like that just inviting him into this space without like guilting him or anything like that and instead just like yeah inviting in something different so he was just like oh yeah of course like you know turn it off and he got in her little hospital bed with her um and I just sang to her with my hands on her and do you remember what you would sing I sang the Gayatri mantra mostly Mm. which is um Sanskrit I was like very into yoga at the time Mm -hmm. and it's just like can be so beautiful and yeah can just be such like a can like carry Mm -hmm. the tongues and the words in different ways so I just sang that and I remember lots of people coming in and like people like lots of nurses peeping in I wasn't being like loud by any means but it was like we were a presence on that floor and probably for like an hour hour or so and I stopped and she she was going she was dying and um, my dad just like laid there with her and I think we were looking at each other it's a little like foggy now like birth right like it's mm-hmm. foggy mm-hmm. I think we were looking at each other kind of like checking in like, is this really happening? Like, is she dying? Mm-hmm. And I think my dad looked at me and said, she's gone. Um, and we just, you know, broke into tears and we're just crying. Um, I don't know how long they let us just be like that with her 
I think it was 10 minutes. I, I think before they came in and like closed her eyes. Not very long. Right. Like closed her eyes. Maybe it was longer. But, you know, unhook her. is kind of elusive sometimes, just like right. birth and death. Yeah. I know we didn't get home until like three or four hours after she died. Um, yeah. And. Yeah, I think they I think they did let us stay with her a bit longer. And then they had us, you know, they usually have you leave the room when they move the body and all that. But they may have just wheeled her actually out. And then, you know, my dad had to do some paperwork. Um, and we left. And we went home. I think I called her daughter and let her daughter know that she had died. And, you know, let, she then told the rest of their family. And, yeah, when she when she died, it was like... I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> it was just like her, her spirit and whatever those like guardianship, like filled that room. And she felt so safe. And it felt so human. Like it felt so wildly familiar. Um, but like nothing I'd ever felt before. And it was, it was incredible. And she came to me in my dream that night. Mm -hmm. And she, um, you know, like I said, we had a pretty hot and cold <laughs> relationship, her and I, um, and my sister and her. It was just like, <laughs> yeah, but there was one road trip that we went on. When I was, I don't know how old I was, 14, we went on this road trip <clears throat> with my dad and her and my sister, and we went to um, New Mexico. But on the way, we stopped in Flagstaff, and it was the summertime, but you can go on their ski lift in the summer and get to the top and, like, see the view. So we all rode on the ski lift together, and it was, like, such a fun time. Like, we were all being so goofy, and, like, we had such a fun trip together. So in the dream, she and I were on a ski lift, similar. And she was, like, showing me where she was going, which was, like, to wherever you want to call it. In her world, it's heaven. Um, and we were, like, riding on this, like, ski lift together. And she, like, showed me where she was getting off and pretty much being, like, I'm good. Like, I'm good. I'm like, I'm where I need to be. And like, thank you for like riding with me. Um, it was so cool. And yeah. Yeah. And then we met with her parents the next day, her dad. And I, again, just like I stayed by my dad's side as all the next mm -hmm. processes went on and how many, how many years ago was that now? I'm just thinking about how like vivid you can tell that dream story. Eight and, years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've had weird, strange, with every beloved person that has died, I've had some kind of really vivid dream with them. 
A past lover of mine passed away a couple years ago from brain from um, brain cancer, and uh, I had this dream with him where he he didn't have a funeral because it was like during COVID, mm -hmm. so there wasn't like a ton of closure for me, mm -hmm. and I'm not like friends with any of his friends or anything like that. But in the stream. he like brought me to his funeral. He like walked with me to the funeral and like sat with me in the front row. And it was just like, yeah. It was so intense and beautiful and sad and all the things. Mm Yeah. -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the first dream that I had with Bjorn after he died, it was like, there was a bridge and he was like walking onto the bridge. And I remember like running to him and like jumping into his arms and we were like on the bridge and embraced on this Wow. bridge. And, you know, in the moment I didn't really even understand how symbolic the bridge was until later thinking about Yeah. that and how he was then on this other side and I was here. Mm, chills. It's so beautiful. It's amazing, like, how our, you know, our psyches understand death, right? Like, that my... Like, sure, I could have been delivered the dream, but also my psyche could have just, like, connected those dots, like, put that ski lift together, you know? And for you, like, the bridge is just so amazing. Like, when you dive into Carl Jung's work and there's just, like, so much of that, right? It's just, like, how our psyches really understand death to the best Mm -hmm. of their ability because it's very hard to cognitively wrap our heads around, just like it's hard to wrap our heads around being a human being on a planet in the Mm -hmm. or like where does the soul come from and where does it go and right it's hard yes to being hard in this to meat meat suit and right is the earth round or is it flat <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so like you spoke to earlier in this life where we're so focused on like tasks and doing certain things and being certain ways in the world rather than just like being present and experiencing the world in our lives right But you asked about movement earlier and I didn't really speak to it, but that's for me so much of what a movement practice is. It's just like being a human <laughs> and like Yes. I can move my fingers and I can like move my hand in this way and make my body like do these movements and then being in my body as it, as that's happening and telling a story through the movements. And to me, it's just like, the uh it's just an imagery it's like the culmination of like what it means to be human and have emotions and a body and stories and just what we're capable of as humans surfing is the other thing like that I don't really surf but watching surfers I'm like wow they're on a board that like a human made like shaped and they're riding the ocean <laughs> Like, what? And especially when there's like a sunset in the background, you're just like, oh my gosh, like, wow. Being a human is like so cool. This is like a playground down here. It's also, you know, a tragic, a tragic playground in many ways. But um, 
bittersweet, you know, life is both and. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild, hey? Mm -hmm. I know you spoke of Kimberly Ann Johnson, and I just saw earlier today on her Instagram that her and Stephen Jenkinson, which I got to go to their um, talk in Asheville. I've been a fan of Stephen Jenkinson for, you know, since I was introduced into the death world. Mm -hmm. um, their talk was amazing. Their in-person one. And I think the one that they're about to do is virtual, but they're going to do a birth and death three-part conversation. Yes, um, I'm registered for it. Oh, you are? Okay, I, have, yes. I need to register. I like just saw it today and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for that. Yeah. yeah. Me too. I'm so curious because they're both these realms that I, you know, have lived and worked within. And so I'm, yeah, too excited to hear and witness the conversations right. that they have around it. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Jenkinson's is just like something else, you know? It's like, what? What? Mm -hmm. Whoa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Yes, I actually wrote, uh, I don't have it with me, but he wrote some quote about how, like, we, something about dying, like, we don't all, now I'm going to have to pull it up. Um, so Kimberly says, then there's death, also a universal experience, although Stephen Jenkinson would say, not so. He would say we have to actively die, that it's not just an inevitability. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how I feel about that, but I think it's an interesting thing to ponder. Mm -hmm. That's like a lot of what he says. It's like, huh, okay. Like it opens up a thought provoke of a, a pondering to happen. A lot of what he has to say. I love, mm -hmm. loved listening to them live. It was like so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 In, in the response that you did to my call out for someone to like have this dialogue with, you spoke about um, enjoying or honoring death and crafting meaningful and intentional ceremonies for loved ones. Would you yeah. share a little bit about that? Yeah. So I kind of fell into that training with Zenith Farrago. My one of my, I just become like best friends with this woman Shay who ended up attending my birth years down the road mm. um, but she was like oh I'm going to this like this like death doula thing so I went with her and the last day um I just like added on it was like an add-on it was celebrancy and like holding funerals and I learned so much from her in that class where she really talked about a funeral as like crafting like you are crafting an experience for everyone that the person who died like touched in some way you are like crafting their grief ritual and it's you know like again like I said every like death is different and therefore the funeral should be different too in the different like arcs and waves that it takes you on and the overall feel of the funeral, like, you know, like an abusive, alcoholic, drunk grandpa that nobody liked and was actually, they're actually happy that he's gone. That funeral is going to be like very, very different than 
you know, my beloved Jima, who everyone loved, and she touched everyone's lives and threw everybody's birthday parties. Like, those are going to be different, and crafting those in a way, and really bringing the the community through their grief, and creating this space for the collective grief to happen because we don't have very many opportunities for that in our culture, if any, really, unless you're like in kind of smaller communities that do grief rituals. <laughs> Most of the time, it's just funerals mm-hmm. where people get to have that. So often they're not only grieving this loved one, but it's like the rest of their grief is there as well. Mm-hmm. And there's something so powerful about grieving together that can help others feel theirs and just like let this not a you know we're not ever complete in grief or ever complete with the passing of our loved ones but there's a completion that happens that can happen in a funeral Mm -hmm. um so yeah she talked about it in you know in some ways like you lead up right like the beginning there's like some talk about the person and you know towards the middle of the funeral you put on that song that is just like gonna everyone is gonna just like bubble up and we went to my um partner's grandmother's funeral uh two years ago and she (laughs) I didn't know her but I wish I did (laughs) she um love to sing she's a single mom raised five kids in the you know 60s 70s and she loved to sing and she loved jesus and she would put on her record player and she would like somehow record over the record so it's like so they found some of them so they played this beautiful song about like going home to jesus but she's singing along with the record. Wow. Yeah. And it was like nobody, it was like a surprise. And all of a sudden all of her <sighs> siblings were like heard her voice. All of her children, I mean. Mm-hmm. Heard her voice and her grandkids. And I just remember Tyler like looking at me and being like, that's like, that's Grandma Margie singing. And oh my God, I was just like, I could not stop crying. I didn't even know the woman. But just the the funeral was so beautiful they really spoke to just who she was and her life and then had that build up of this like downpour um you know and then and then you you, like come back out and then usually like the montage at the end right where there's like you get to cry more but it's like sweet memories and it kind of brings everything back together so she gave some different examples, you know, when a child dies, it's like very, it's a very different funeral. You know, when someone commits suicide, it's like a very different thing. And she talked about the importance of saying how someone died. She talked about the importance of that because sometimes people don't like to do that mm-hmm. when it is suicide, um, that it's not spoken about. And she talked about the importance of that. And she talked about the importance for um, peer, young, for kids when a peer dies mm-hmm. and how for the kids, for their peers, like it's a rite of passage for them. And like 
that they should be very, very kept in mind as the funeral is crafted. Um, and yeah, creating opportunities for them to, to grieve and be, be held, which often, you know, uh, which often requires like the whole community, um, and especially with teens, like teens don't usually want, don't often want the comfort of their parents they're actually better held by their aunties and uncles mm. and just like, yeah, creating those spaces for teens and kids to, yeah, to, to grieve. So those were some of the things. And then I think in our own lives, in our own small rituals, like the grief isn't done at the funeral. Mm-hmm. So it's finding ways to continue to have those like little funerals those little celebrations of their life like you said uh, pizza like I like to eat a little bowl of ice vanilla ice cream like thrifty's vanilla ice cream for my grandma you know <laughs> yes and Gma, I haven't done this yet but when I lived with her we'd make strawberry shortcake but she would like to pick up biscuits from Kentucky Fried Chicken <laughs> and that would be the base of the strawberry shortcake so I'm like, oh, you know what I actually did? I did make biscuits and like made strawberry shortcake like that. So things like that can be such beautiful rituals. Um, do you have photos yeah. of her in your home? or do you? I don't have a photo of Jima. I have her. So she has this. I still need to get her entire necklace collection. But she um, loved gem and mineral shows and just like crystal lady like all over her house Uh she has this like necklace rack with probably like a hundred necklaces and they're color coordinated like rainbow wow so i have a couple of them that i got when i was there but um my her daughter did say that i could have the whole collection and i plan to put it up on my wall the same way that she had it displayed Um, and she'd always color coordinate it to her outfits her necklaces and she would wear pig she had long gray hair she'd wear pigtail braids and the hair bands would match too so cute i know so cute um yeah i actually don't have i still haven't unpacked the photos that i have yeah. of other ones i need a photo of Gmo. but mostly little things they have like little things from them mm-hmm. which i'm so grateful to have mm-hmm. and I have a sweater of Kathy's that I'll wear sometimes um it's very like tatted and ratty now mm-hmm. um but yeah it's yeah. like it doesn't need to be anything extravagant right no I mean and like well I have like these bracelets I'm wearing that were my grandma Elsie's and mm-hmm. I wear I just keep them on all the time and a ring from her um but sometimes it's as simple as like like when something's missing, like she would say, you know, well, it's always exactly where you left it, you know. And That's so amazing. I'll like say that to my kids or, you know, <laughs> use that on myself. That's amazing. Oh, I I know. Well, I know it's exactly where I left it. I just don't know where that is, you know. Oh Think of her. I love that. My grandma would like kick us under the table when she like <laughs> Either we said something funny or someone like funny was walking by. She'd love to like people watch. 
<laughs> so me and my sister will like do that now when we're together, like kick each other under the table. Yeah. Yeah. And she would like grab like your wrist, you know, like squeeze it of like uh-huh. like out of love, you know. Mm-hmm. Things like things like that. Yeah, like remembering their mannerisms and like inviting those little sayings and little things in is like such a beautiful way to keep their like keep their essence close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember them and honor them. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when I do like oracle card pulls or something, I'll like ask her to, you know, help me choose the next card and feel like it's a message from her or from Bjorn or from my daughter Hartley. So that's another way that I like to bring them into my life. Mm-hmm. And saying their names, that was something um, Zenith talked about. You know, people often, after someone dies, like I'm, they're so awkward and they don't know how, what to say, what not to say, mm-hmm. what to do, like all the things. Yeah. And I always love that kind of go-to of like, what was their name? You know, what mm-hmm. is their name? And that moment of reverence is like so powerful. Um, Absolutely. I think it's, yeah, it's important to like speak those names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that especially, I mean, maybe not especially, I mean, it's so everywhere, but like in the realm of because I had my own like infant loss experience, I work with a lot of moms who have also, you know, had babies that have died and always asking them their baby's name. And even if it's an early loss, like have they named that baby or maybe they don't give that baby a formal name, but they have some sort of like a nickname or some way that they refer to that baby and using that name and writing it on a card or even like writing it somewhere and showing them that I wrote that name or have some reference to it throughout my day and say oh I was thinking of your daughter Violet when I saw this you know purple color or I think it's I think it's extra important with babies right because if it was a stillbirth or an early birth you know then you like I think in our culture, because we didn't know them, mm-hmm. like they don't have a name or because they didn't like live a breathing life for at all, or, you know, only for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. And I think there's often also just so much sensitivity, of course, when babies mm-hmm. die that people don't want to they don't want to bring anything up, but it's already up. Like, I know, but as as the mother, like we can feel like we're the only one remembering them or the right. only one that like knew they existed or. It's always up. Like it's always there. Yeah. <laughs> so to yes. be like, oh, I didn't want to, you know, I just know, you know, I know that feeling and I know I see it in people like, oh, I didn't want to bring it up. Mm-hmm. When you see someone a couple months after their father died or whatever, and you're like, oh, I didn't want to bring it up at dinner it's mm-hmm. like but you should <laughs> yeah yeah and of course in a respectful way and they can decline to talk about it if they don't want to but 
they're thinking about it and having that yeah. name spoken, even if it brings tears, is almost always like welcomed at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think especially moms with, with early births or even like late, like later term mm -hmm. early births, like, yeah. you know, yes. can feel so alone in, in it. Yeah. Um, invisible. Yeah. Invisible to a lot of people. Right. Um, Cause people don't like see it as a big deal or, you know, as a very big deal. Right. Yeah. Which is not true <laughs> and yeah. very isolated and mm -hmm. I imagine very like rage invoking for those women mm -hmm. I remember even like it's so interesting how different like cultures revere things or not and like in the Jewish culture like I have a dear friend who is Jewish and so when I had an earlier like an early birth loss and she was like well you know in, in my culture they're not like real yet or whatever you know something like that mm -hmm. and she wasn't meaning to be hurtful but like to me I right. was like, like your oh. spirit isn't there yet or something yeah wow yeah yeah you're like okay but I had a child growing in my body and now mm -hmm. I don't and that might be true for her and her experience in an early birth but it doesn't mean that was my own experience yeah, and I think physiologically, like physiologically, I think the body does recognize it as, mm -hmm. you know, alive. Well, we, we change. Our DNA changes with each right. pregnancy that we hold, whether long or short. Right. So like physiologically, our body recognizes the life within us and then recognizes when it's no longer. And there is grief. Yes. Yes. Even with, you know, even with a chosen um, like ending of a pregnancy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's often not spoken about either yeah oh but you chose it okay <laughs> <laughs> but it's awful like yeah there's still grief and loss there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well I'm feeling like maybe we're coming to a close I want to be respectful of your time is there anything else you like feel like you came that you wanted to share or anything that's coming up now that you'd like to share? I don't think so. We covered so much. Yeah. We covered so, so much. Thank yeah. you so much for being really? willing to walk this path with me today. And yeah. I love your website name, Web of Grace. Like, I love web and like thinking about how as women, like we connect through the web throughout the whole world. And I love that your website ends in like a dot love because mine does as well. Um, I would love for you to share a little bit more about the work you could do and where women can find you for people who might not, I know we've used somatic experiencing a few times in this conversation, but maybe you can share what it means for those that might not know or understand about it too. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So what I mostly do is I work with women one-on-one -on -one and I am studying somatic experiencing, which is Dr. Peter Levine's lineage of work that is, 
essentially trauma healing through the nervous system. So it's looking at our bodies from this like very physiological, very like animal perspective. I like to say that like our body has like a much simpler story than our minds do. So often we, you know, when we have things bogging us down or weighing us down or we're struggling in life, we like enter talk therapy and then eventually people find themselves in some sort of somatic work. And it's, it's often, at least for me, ended up being somatic experiencing and for many people as well. But it's working with the body in real time and letting things complete that didn't get to in the past. And it's a growing of the capacity, like you talked about, like when we let ourselves go into the grief, we actually have more access to joy. Mm-hmm. So we kind of work between these two worlds of expanding our resources, our capacity for like, connection, love, and joy. And simultaneously, we're then able to go into these more unpleasant places and sustain them and be be held, hold ourselves through them. Right. So it's really the lens of like the client and their nervous system like guides the session. Like they are their own healer and SE practitioners just like support the process and observe the nervous system and invite the client into different places to I offer somatic dance, which is like my nearest and dearest offering to my heart. I've kind of married everything that I've ever learned in this life. I grew up as a classically trained um, dancer and, you know, went on to study many different things and have combined them all to create a journey through movement. So I offer these quarterly in their three-week series, and we always are exploring different topics. The one I'm enrolling right now, I don't, when is this going to release this podcast? Um, I was thinking I could, next week or the week after, but if you have something, I saw you had a January movement. Yeah, is that, that work. a dance? Yeah, it starts January 21st, I think. It's Sunday evenings. I would love to release it before that. Okay. So yeah, this upcoming series is kind of in, you know, in inspiration of the new year, which I don't resonate with that much, but there is still a, it's still a cultural threshold. Like it's still a movement from one year to the next. It's still how we remember certain things so the focus is on letting go of what's ready to be let go of to create space and build capacity to draw in and you know call in and hold the things that we're wanting so there are these three-week journeys um that are just amazing the first time I offered it I had no idea how it would be received and I was almost expecting crickets at the end of the call when I'm like how'd it go And I was blown away by everything that was shared and I continue to be each class. So yeah. Are they like weekly live calls or how is the course? Yeah. So they're three week series and they're weekly live calls. This round will be Sunday evenings. Um, 
and the recordings are available um, for life. And so, yeah, you can revisit it anytime. And I also have all the pre like I have all the previous ones available for purchase on my website. And yeah. Will you name yeah. your website and whatever other social medias where people might be able to follow you? Yeah, you can find me at Web of Grace on Instagram. And I don't do any of the other social platforms. And my website is www.webofgrace.love. Beautiful. Yeah, you can always email me um, or DM me. I answer my DMs. So, yeah. Thank you so much for going on this journey with me today and sharing stories and wondering and pondering these big topics with me today. Thank you. Thank you so much. As I begin the closing of this episode, I am delighted to tell you about this limited time offer, the gift of a short psychic reading for you in exchange for a review of The Heart of the Soul on Apple Podcasts. As each of you are unique, the reading will be as well. I can share that many women express their experience with words like held, witnessed, loved, connected, aligned. They feel increased trust in themselves. They feel seen and often feel more centered with clarity about their purpose and path in this life. You can check out full reviews written about my readings on my mediumship offerings page. Your reading will be given through a voice message on email. What I need from you is a screenshot of the review you have written and a short voice or video message of yourself introducing yourself to me first stating and then spelling out your name. Send it to me via email at amana at birthingnova.love. I will use this information from you to record a voice message reading for you that will be about 10 to 15 minutes in length, a nearly 40 to $50 value as my 30 minute readings are $111 US dollars. I will send your reading back to you as soon as I possibly can. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. If you love the podcast, I'd be so grateful if you choose to subscribe, rate, review, or share the show. If you feel aligned with my energy and are wanting to tap into your wild side, birth your baby wild and free, I support women just like yourself all over the world. To learn more or book your free clarity call with me, go to my website, www.birthingnova.love. Also, if you would like a full mediumship reading, you can book one through my website as well. I would love to connect with you. Until next time, remember to be brave, be bold, be love, be you, and be the change that you seek for yourself and for the generations to come. Love, 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 everyone.